Well, I want to extend my welcome uh, as Gerald and Stevens. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew 11. And we will get there in a few moments, but it will be Matthew 11 from verse 28. Now, in the middle of last year, I came across an article, uh, in the, um, an article or a story really that, that talked about a piece of artwork being restored. And uh, the owner had commissioned these so-called professionals to restore uh, this painting, the Immaculate Conception, uh, which is by all reports a a rather historic uh, painting. And so commissioned them to do this job, to do this restoration and paid them handsomely to do it. And because they were amateurs though, these restorers completely botched the job. And uh, they botched it so much that not only was it terrible the first time, they tried to fix it and made it even worse the second time. Let's have a look at what happens. The one on the left is the original and the two others are first and second tries. What a disaster, eh? Now, the owner wasn't too happy about that, uh, but the owner had commissioned them And the result was terrible. And I imagine, or we are familiar with the idea of commissioning someone to do a job. Commissioning is uh, all very common. And uh, we pay for services that we're unable to do or that we don't want to do ourselves. Uh, Perhaps we commission someone to do them. In the world of artwork, people get commissioned to do sculptures and, and paintings. A luthier. Uh, is commissioned to repair or build uh, uh, guitars, of which we have someone of that expertise in our congregation, I won't point out. But the government also commissions uh, large projects, don't they? And um, we might get paid by commission as well. And so this idea of commission is is not unfamiliar to us. It, It is about giving someone a job to do, giving someone a task to do. Uh, They will be rewarded for that. And as you can see, this this commission here, well, the restoration didn't quite go to plan. But over the last few weeks, we have been exploring this theme, the road to restoration, across Easter and now here finally today. Uh, Unlike though, the amateur restorers that we've been uh, we, just, we just saw there, we've been following the true restorer, Jesus Christ. And we've been following it by beginning at the arrival of Jesus in, from Bethany into Jerusalem the week before the Easter event. We, we heard about the cost that Jesus went through on Good Friday for the sake of our restoration, what Christ has done for us. On Easter Sunday, we heard about the fulfilment of his resurrection, what he had, oh, there go my notes, uh, what he had done uh, for us and resulting in the resurrection. And then last week, Wally outlined a number of proofs of the resurrection. And this morning, we're going to look at this theme, the road to restoration, but in the context of the commission, the commission that Christ gives us. We'll conclude our series and lead into another one uh, starting next week. Uh, probably really expanding this this theme of commission. Uh, but the commission of Christ here is, is one who gives his he's one who gives his followers, his disciples, a task 
a task to, to fulfill, a promise that we will fulfill it. And as followers of Jesus, we have been commissioned by Christ. The commission of Christ can be found in a number of places in your Bible. You may be familiar with uh, the famous Great Commission of Matthew 28, uh, 16 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You, you may be very familiar with that commission. As we were exploring the book of Acts earlier in this year, we came across uh, the commission from chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. It says this, just before Jesus uh, ascended to his disciples, he said, they, the disciples, gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. You may be familiar with that commission that Jesus gives his followers. But I've been wondering this week and a few weeks now, uh, I've been wondering what drives this commission. What what is that that motivates Jesus to give us this sort of commission to his disciples, to his followers, consequently to us? Like, what is at the core of this commission that Christ gives us and gives all those who follow him? And some good and true answers that we come up with might be, I'll give you a few examples if you don't mind, it, it's so that everyone may know the reason for the hope that they believe, or that they might have, so that people can know about Christ and what Christ has done for them. That's another, another reason. So others may know the truth about our world and about our existence. Or perhaps the core of a, a, the commission that Jesus gives us is, is, is about, making those, about, about showing those who are in darkness the light. Perhaps it's so that others may know the forgiveness of sin and are able to be at peace with God. Or simply, it may be a commission to extend, to give us something to do, like, like to, to be obedient, to do something out of duty, perhaps. I'm sure we could, we could come up with more. I'm sure we could. I want to suggest, though, this morning that the commission that Christ gives us actually comes, comes from the heart of Christ. Something we've been singing about, actually. The heart of Christ. At the core of the commission that Jesus gives us is Christ's heart. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the heart of Christ this morning, uh, rather than these passages uh, about the commission, because I think it will give us a greater understanding of the heart of Christ and a greater understanding of the commission that he has given for us and to us. And as we're drawn to the heart of Christ, we might be drawn to the commission that he's actually given us as well. The commission given to the disciples and to his followers, I think, is driven by this heart, this heart that Christ has. 
The more we know of Christ's heart, the more we are able to know and understand and appreciate the commission then that he gives us. It doesn't, I don't think, diminish any of the true or good answers that that I just outlined uh, or shared just briefly there. But it goes to a deeper level. It, It gives us a perspective that goes deeper than what we might do, but actually touches on why we might be part of the commission that Christ gives us. So perhaps I've given myself a weighty task this morning, but we'll see how we go. So what of the heart of Christ then? In the four accounts of Jesus' life, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that is 89 chapters of Scripture, there is only one place where Jesus uh, tells us about his own heart. Only one place in the four Gospels where we learn of Christ's heart. In all of Christ's teaching, in all of these four Gospels, we read of his birth, we read of his ministry, of, of the disciples that he calls to follow him. We read uh, or are told of his travels and told the way in which he prays. We read of the lengthy speeches and objections by those uh, who are listening to Jesus and his word uh, in his lifetime. We learn the way in which he understood himself, the way in which he fulfilled the Old Testament. We, we also learn through these accounts the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But only one place, only one place, do we hear Jesus open up about his own heart? And that is in Matthew 11, which I asked you to turn to before. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. You can follow along with me. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here is the one place in the Bible where Christ pulls back the curtain, pulls back the curtain and lets us peer down at the core of who he is, the core of his being. We're not told that he is strict and disciplined in heart. We're not told that he is holy and majestic in heart. We're not told that he is joyful and generous in heart. But Jesus' surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Now, when the Bible speaks of, of the heart, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's not just speaking of our emotional life only. Rather, it is speaking about the core centre of all we are and who we are and what we do. Our heart is that which leads us to get out of bed in the morning and shows what we dream and desire of. The heart is the motivation for life and everything within it, where it that's where it comes from. The heart is not just part of who we are, but it is the headquarters of who we are. The very centre and our heart defines and directs us. That is why Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The heart is a matter of life and makes us who we are. So when Je- Jesus tells us 
that what motivates him most deeply, that what is most true of him, that what is at the very centre, at the very core of his being, we find these words, gentle and lowly. Who could have thought up such a saviour? The word gentle in the New Testament occurs only three times. And in the first beatitude, that the meek will inherit the earth, there in Matthew 5, in a prophecy in Matthew 21, says that Jesus the King is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And in Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else, the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus doesn't fly off the handle. He's not reactionary, reactive. He isn't harsh or easily exasperated. The posture most natural to Jesus, the posture most natural is not a pointed finger, but it's open arms. Not a pointed finger, it's open arms. Meek, humble, gentle. The meaning of the word lowly, let's look at that word for a moment. Well, that overlaps with this gentle and is generally understood to be humble, humility. In James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The kind of, this kind of humility is a virtue. It's something, something about us, a characteristic. But it can also be understood, can't it, to be referring to to someone of lowly circumstance. So in Mary's song, while she's pregnant with Jesus, she says, uh, or she, she speaks of the way God will exalt those who are of humble estate. And in, in Romans 12, 16, Paul writes that we are not to be haughty, but to associate with the lowly, those of lowly estate. This is, not ref- this is referring then to those who are socially unimpressive. You know, those who are outcasts, those who are not the life of the party, but rather they are the people that make the host cringe when they turn up. That kind of thing. But the point is, the point is that in saying that Jesus is lowly is that, that he's accessible. He's accessible to us for all his glory, all his majesty, for all his holiness, for all the honour that we esteem to him. No one is more approachable than Jesus Christ. There is no prerequisite to know him. There is no prerequisite in coming to him. There are no hoops to jump through to get to him. He stands there, meek and humble, and gentle with open arms. And so this gentle and lowly, this is the very heart of Christ told to us by Christ himself. This is who he is, tender, welcoming, open, accommodating, understanding. If we were asked to say only one thing about Jesus, We would be affirming Jesus' own teaching if we said 
Or if our answer was that he is gentle and lowly. Jesus had his own web page, had his own website, and you clicked on the about, uh, the about me uh, section, it would say, I am gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly in heart. But this is not who he is to everyone. This is, to those, this is who he is for those who come to him. Those who take their, the, his yoke upon them. Those who cry to him for help. Those who come to his embrace and access him. See, the paragraph before what we read, uh, show, the, the, we read the words of Jesus and the way in which he, he directs these words or handles these, these people who are prideful and arrogant and unrepentant. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Gentle and lowly doesn't mean soft and mushy. There's a difference going on there. But for those who do come to him, well, his heart of gentleness is there to embrace. It is not overcome by the sins or the anxieties, by the, the pains and the insecurities and the failures we may feel. Jesus' gentleness is not an occasional act. It's who he is. It's his heart. He can never ungentle himself. He is always consistently gentle. He can't ungentle himself, just like we can't change our eye colour. He cannot change his gentle nature. I don't think we think of Jesus like this very often, do we? It's not natural for us to think of Christ like this. There's an old English pastor called Thomas Goodwin, who I think helps us understand a bit more of this as well. And he writes this, Men and women are apt to have contrary images of Christ, but he tells them his disposition by preventing such hard thoughts of him to allure them to him even more. We are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek and gentleness is my nature and temper. Goodwin is saying that the Son of God, this Jesus, this Christ, he does not hold his nose as he reaches out to us. No, he does not. He cannot bear to hold back. He cannot, he, he, he cannot bear to hold back. He wants to come and wants to embrace us and take us in. And he loves to do so. He doesn't come cautiously. He doesn't screw up his face again at us. Rather, he draws near to us in all his perfections, in all his perfect gentleness. It is who he is. It's the very heart of Christ. It's Jesus himself even said so. So because this is his heart, because this is his heart, we find that his commission then is given to draw people to come 
and to find rest. To come and find this gentle and lowly Christ. The reality of life and the weightiness of the world can at times be very overwhelming, can't it? We only need to read the news, hear the stories of what goes on in our neighbourhoods or schools or jump onto social media and read the vitriol. More personally, we are people who deal with poor health or the passing of loved ones or we have relationship challenges and breakdowns. We have uh, workplace pressures and difficulties. Add to that general family life perhaps or emotional and physical needs, busyness that comes with living. There can be a, there can be a heaviness to it all. But thankfully, Christ has revealed to us his own heart and it is a heart that wants us to come and to enjoy him and enjoy his rest. Through his life, through his words here in Matthew 11 and through the Easter events, Christ shows us he doesn't tire of giving us his rest. He doesn't tire of embracing us with his gentleness, with his kindness. He doesn't say, oh, here we go again. We've got to deal with old mate John again. Oh, what a drag. I've got to, I've got to care for him again. No, he loves it. He loves dealing with John. He loves dealing with you. He loves dealing with all of us. He loves it and he wants it. And he wants us to come to him. It is, it is his heart. So the commission that he's given to us rightfully results in those things that I listed before, rightfully results in people understanding true love and true hope, reveals what Christ has done for them and about the truth of this world. It reveals to us and shows us forgiveness of sin for us and peace with God in our own hearts. It provides us with access to God and we can experience him in this life and in the life to come. We, we are given all that, rightfully results in that, this commission. But all of this is achieved through the death and resurrection and, shows the, and it is that that shows the extent of his heart as well. Philippians 2, you might know the passage where he says, Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross. And the cross shows his gentleness, his kindness, and, of course, his lowliness, his humility to come for us. And so the commission given to the disciples, given to us, comes from his heart. This gentle and lowly heart is what compels Christ to give us this commission. The call to make disciples, the call to be witnesses, the This is not something that is to then be added to our already busy schedules. It's not a commission that means the future of the church is dependent on how many conversations you had about Jesus this week. But it's a commission that says, come to Christ. It is a commission that says, come to Christ and find your rest. And then, funnily enough, when we find our rest and know the heart of Christ, we may indeed find ourselves being witnesses of Christ 
in our own lives. It's like Jesus is saying, he's saying, come and see this heart that I have, this gentle and lowly heart that I have for you. And when you know the heart that I have, you will see, you will see the way in which I look upon people everywhere, the way in which I look upon the world, the way in which I look upon your neighbour, your friends, how I look upon your neighbour and your colleagues and your clients. Come and see the heart that I have and you will see how I look upon you, one with gentleness and of lowliness of heart. There is no way that we as individuals can achieve these things for other people. It is only Christ that does that for us. But he calls us to come to him and come and find this rest, to come and see his heart. When we see and experience the rest for ourselves, then we are drawn into the heart of Christ. We are drawn to the commission of Christ and can draw others to this heart of Christ as well. The heart of Christ The desire of Christ is that his people be with him, that you and I are with him. That those who do not yet know him will come and be drawn to him and know his heart also. That tribes and nations across the world will know this Christ for his heart and desire is for them. And so the commission that is given to his disciples and given to the followers of Jesus, that is given to us, comes from the heart of Christ. It is a commission that we participate in when we are drawn to that heart, that heart that is gentle, that heart that is lowly, that heart that we can come to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and we thank you that we may come to you and find rest in you but into finding that rest we see that the heart of Christ is all gentleness and kindness and humility and lowliness and Lord you 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 want to embrace us you want to be with alongside us and so Lord as we sing our final song may we understand and appreciate more of who you are because we understand now more of your heart and the heart that you have for us in this world.